0: Welcome to Chatting with Authors podcast. I'm Will Zeilinger.
1: And I'm Janet Lynn. Each of our programs feature an interview with authors from a variety of genres.
0: We hope you'll learn a little about them, their writing life, and more. Here we go.
1: Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. How are you? Good. It's been a while since we've seen each other, and we don't need a mask. That's great.
0: We don't, we don't do conferences anymore. It's a shame.
1: No, it is a sad
0: So tell us a little bit about uh, Rick Cahill. Where did this character come from?
2: Well, Rick Cahill, uh, I've been writing him for a long time. Took me 10 years to get published. So I've been writing him about 19 years now. Wow. And he really came, I wanted to, I wanted to, I read, as the bio said, I read, you know, Chandler and I read Ross McDonald when I was a kid. And so the crime fiction was in my blood. Hard, hard-boiled PI was basically in my blood, and I wanted to have a, a an ex-cop, which Rick is. I really um, the first book I wrote, the the first draft of the first book I wrote, which the book ended up being Yesterday's Echo. Uh, the very first uh, conference I went to, you guys might know it. It's called um, California Writers Conference. They do it in San Diego. Mm-hmm. They do it in L.A.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that was the first one I went to in San Diego. Gosh, I don't know. 19 years ago, maybe, and uh, or 18. And, you know, they do the read and critique. And I, I, um, back then, they read they read a lot of pages. They had to read uh, 30 pages at this conference. And the readers, if you can believe that. And Alan Russell, who's a uh, accomplished mystery writer, had the misfortune of reading my 30 pages, which <laughs> uh, was of my first draft. I thought it was a book. Of course, it was a first draft. And he said, well, you know, you can write, but your character's too autobiographical. And he said, first novel's, first novels are anyway and of course I was writing in first person which you know makes it even more autobiographical and uh so with each iteration, and I I took that to heart and it was very true and really the book wasn't where I wanted to be obviously it was the first draft of a first novel so you can imagine how bad it was but the book wasn't really the character wasn't really where I wanted him to want him to be I wasn't really sure where he needed to be and then on one of the iterations uh one of my revisions um I was revising the beginning and a line came to me out of the ether out of my subconscious which was the first time i saw her she made me remember and she made me forget and that unlocked the key to me for rick's backstory he was a much darker character that i've been writing it's really where i wanted to go i wanted to get darker i just didn't really know how to go there um so that kind of opened things up for me Um, so less autobiographical with each revision and and uh, probably less autobiographical with each book but he's a damaged um character. He's a former cop who was accused of murdering his wife when he was a, a cop up in Santa Barbara. He was um, never tried and released, but never exonerated. So for many years, many, many years, he was thought to be a guy who got away with murder. So he really came, came for me a bit. But then the, then the further he got away from me is where he really started to become a real character to me.
1: Well, great. That's good. Now, would you were you planning to make this a series or did it just happen?
2: Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't planning initially. I have a degree in English, which is uh, great for washing dishes, which is what I did when I went out of college. <laughs> I, I just lost my light, but it's like, very temperamental. Um, but I, I had a degree in English. I told people I was going to be a writer, but that I didn't write, which is really not a very good way to become a writer. Um, but I made the mistake of telling too many people and. I worked in the golf industry. I worked in uh, the restaurant industry. I worked in um, sports collectibles. Sports um, collectibles. And when I was working for the fourth golf company I helped put out of business in ten years, I saw I saw the handwriting on the wall. I know this business was going to go under. And I said, "Well, this is it." I was forty something, two or three. And I said, "You have to write. Got to write a book, or um, you can't pretend like it's going to be something you're going to do. You can't pretend like." it's going to be your career you have to actually find a career as opposed from going from one job to the other and uh sure enough the golf company went out of business and I I had about I didn't know it at the time but I had about six months and and I had some money saved up and I ended up writing what was the first draft and I thought it was a novel um so I probably once again through the third or fourth revision I thought well yeah maybe I am writing a series that as much as I'm getting to know this character, there's so much more I don't know about him. And then uh, I realize, yeah, he's definitely, definitely has the potential for a series. And, you know, I just turned in my eighth book in the series. I'm under contract for nine and 10. So I guess it is a series.
1: Now I have to ask you, are you a panster or an outliner?
2: Yeah. Coming um, <laughs> down here in San Diego, we've always called it. It's, I think it's an homage to Chandler, of course, who lived the last years of his life in La Jolla. Uh, I would call it a blank pager, which is the uh, Chandler always famous, famously said that, uh, you know, he looked at the blank page every day and had to figure out what to do, which is very much what I do. So yes, I'm a pantser. I used to be a little bit of a hybrid where I had a skeletal outline and then um, which, you know, probably eventually went in the trash, but at least I had an idea and, and you would think the more you write, the more organized you get. But for me, it's become, I've become messier more organic is a nice way to say it as opposed to being messy. So I really just have an I have a, um, idea of a subplot for my character, for Rick. How is this book going to affect him internally? What is he going with on his personal life? And then I have to find a story that will match that or at least help bring out the um, the tension in his life. So I'm very much, more so than ever, a
1: pantser. Are you? See, I'm an outlier and he's a pantser Well. And we, we, we still write. We're still married and we still write together.
0: <laughs> I, I've had to learn especially writing uh, crime novels, mystery novels that I have to outline because I've written myself in their many corners. Right. Luckily, she's come and, you and know, dug me out <laughs> where I painted myself into the corner of the room.
2: We <laughs> got the best of both worlds. I wish I was an outliner, um, but I've tried it, and it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't open up the vault I need to get into. But it's funny that there's the two of you, and one's an outliner and one's a pantser because what I found and almost all the mystery writers I've talked to over the years, it is about 50-50 in the mystery that answers mm-hmm. and outliners, which really surprised me in the beginning because I thought most people would outline because there's so much involved, you know, clues and things, plots, and, and, and that takes some thought. And, you know, for me, I just get in there and find, I find what, I try to define the story that's going to have the most emotional um, resonance for Rick. He's going to have to become emotionally involved to the case. And then for me, the, the, the uh, plot kind of comes out of character if that makes any sense.
1: Doesn't, yeah, it yeah. makes sense. I, I I have so many red herrings and so many misguided clues that I have to keep track of them. That's why I am lying, Cause I forget.
0: Oh, so, do I. <laughs> <laughs> so So, tell us a little bit about Blind Vigil, the, the latest, your latest book. Blind Vigil.
2: <laughs> yeah. It came out in December. It's the seventh uh, in the Cahill series. It, um, it's kind of a, um, a spoiler by the title, Blind Vigil. Something happened at the end of the last book, um, Lost Tomorrows, where uh, Rick loses his vision. You know, I mean, if you read the first page, you're going to know it's not that. It's not a spoiler really, because it's right there. And he's his whole life has really changed to a degree. His the uh, impetus for him being a private investigator for everything he does has been. The death of his wife so many years ago. It's been now when this book opens, I think, fifteen years, fourteen or fifteen years, and he whether he um, had, any, had anything to do with his wife's death or not, he feels responsible for actions he took and did not take the night she died so many years ago. So um, closing that circle has been something he's tried to do for you know all these books, and in Lost Tomorrow is the last book, which took place in Santa Barbara. Um, we find out what happened to his wife, and he finds out. Who killed her and like i said he's had this feeling he felt felt responsible even even though the, the circumstances d- didn't change with him finding the killers about how he his uh you know how he affected his wife's um demise he at least um he feels a little less um he feels less the need for redemption he's been striving for for so many years he feels like he's got a piece of that so his life has changed. He's actually in a different, better, better place than he had been in many years. He's in a relationship with a woman he cares for quite a bit, but he can't see. So it's a new world for him, and he, he was, uh, wanted to quit being a private investigator in the middle of the last, or actually in the beginning of the last book. So he's, this, he's in a, a situation as blind vigil opens up. He's it's a whole new world, doesn't know what he's going to do, and he needs to find out what he's going to do with his life. Um, his girlfriend lives with him half the time because she still has her business in Santa Barbara. He's back in San Diego. And he, one thing he knows he doesn't want to be a private investigator anymore, even if he could, um, which, you know, I'm sure there's some blind private investigators, but in the beginning, um, his his sometime partner, Maura McFarland, who's his best friend sometime partner and kind of his conscience in many ways, asks him for help with the, what seems like a simple um, case his ex boss and, and somewhat partner when he worked in the restaurant business many years ago, Turk Muldoon, has hired Moira to look to basically follow his girlfriend to see if she's cheating. And to Rick, that's a whole, whole new revelation because Turk was pretty much lazy affair with women. He, had, you know, he had many girlfriends. Good guy, everybody liked him. But he, you know, he, he had one he lost when it wasn't that big a deal to him. So obviously, there's something different here. And but Moira's is reluctant to take the case because the last one she took of what she calls a domestic, uh, it was the same situation is the, is the wife cheating on the husband. She was Moira tells the husband and he ends up killing the woman and himself, uh, suicide. So she just, and she wants to know, she wants to bring Rick, even though he can't see to this conversation with Turk who had one time been his best friend, like a brother to him, just to get a sense if he's telling the truth to uh, Moira, get a feel for him even just through the voice. And he does, and um, it seems like a simple case. Someone ends up dying, and then of course things go from there.
0: Can imagine now. Um, at the time that we're recording this, we're still in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 issue. Yeah. With with the seven books, and you're working on your eighth. Yeah. How has your research changed with the availability of getting out?
2: Probably hasn't changed that much. Um, I do, the one thing for me is I generally write in San Diego so I can just get out in a car and drive around. I may not be able to talk to as many people face-to-face as I need to for research, but most of that for me has been done on the phone anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really hasn't, it hasn't, I don't think it's affected, uh, I'm trying to think in this book. I don't think it's really affected me that way. I think it's affected everybody a little bit psychologically in ways we don't maybe even know. I mean, my life hasn't really changed with covid I, um, I no longer have, I quit my day job two years ago. I've been writing for, you know, I I worked at home anyway with my day job for many years. So that hasn't really changed for me, but maybe just the fact that I can't do what I want to do, you know, you know, if I wasn't doing it, I can't go out and do things that I would normally want to do. Even though I'm a bit of a hermit, I did did, do think it affects you. And for me, not necessarily a bad thing because, um, my guy's a little paranoid anyway. So (laughs) being cooped up and, and, uh, feeling, um, claustrophobic is probably a good inspiration for me but like everyone i've, I've kind of had enough of it
1: i we it hasn't hit, taken a huge toll on our writing being isolated right. uh, but it did take a while to get going again because we were just starting a new series oh. and when this thing hits so it just took right. a little bit longer to get it all together to begin writing well, yeah. i had i do have to ask you this is your eighth book you're writing. Will there be a ninth and a tenth and an eleventh?
2: Well, there'll be a ninth and a tenth. I just signed a two-book deal with the publisher.
1: Oh, did you? So you're going to continue the uh, yeah. Rick Cahill? Good for you. Yeah. We uh, had a series, and we decided uh, that we just ended uh, two years ago. Uh, after the fourth book, We had it was time to move on, so we ended it. And people had a fit. Our fans, our fans were patting their hands on the table. You can't leave them like this. So we did a fifth book, uh, and because uh, we killed everybody off, so we had to ah. start over again. Uh, but you know, I have to say, that fifth book ending it really felt good, because we knew all of our characters were in a good place wasn't where they wanted to be or planned to be, but they're in a place that everything was okay. So when you, will you be ending this series or are you going to uh, move on to another series?
2: Well, uh, my intention actually, and I've talked to my publisher about this for years, we've discussed this. I I was going to take a pause after the book. I just turned in number eight, which will come in, uh, come out, I think uh, November 30th of this year. I was planning on taking a break. I can't imagine not writing Rick Cahill. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been writing him for almost 20 years. So he's in my blood. Um, I love the character. I've got a um, you know, a small but very dedicated fan base that I like Rick. And sometimes I wonder why they do. He's kind of a difficult guy. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just can't imagine not writing him. He It's in first person. I've been writing him. It's the only writing I've done for, like I said, the last 20 years. So I wouldn't really know at this point how to write something different, but I thought thought after book eight would be the time to do it and to explore something else, which would be a challenge, um, particularly if I end up writing it in third person, which I thought I might. Um, but the publisher, you know, they wanted more books and they came close to a, a number that sort of made sense for me. It was, below <laughs> the it was below my low number, of course, but I ended up doing the deal anyway. That's a um, they're good. great people. I love them. Uh, Ocean View Publishing, um, Bob and Pat Gussin. They're great people. I love working with them. I love working with the whole crew, um, but but honestly, I, I'm um, for the for the next book. Nine, eight will be out this year. I wasn't really prepared to to write it, so I'm kind of scrambling a little bit to find out what I'm, what's going to be next. Rick's next um, challenge.
0: That'll be interesting. As Janet was saying, uh, we just finished uh, last year. We finished a our series of five books, our scattered books, and. When you come to the end of your series, the thing we discovered was that uh, we got depressed. Yeah. And we did. We felt it was like moving from a small town. You know, you knew everybody. You knew the family. You've been hanging around with them for years. And all of a sudden, you, you're leaving, you know. Yeah.
1: And we didn't understand why until somebody had wrote to us and saying, you know, you ended a book, you're not going to be with these friends anymore. And it was a real real shocker to us because, you know, they were with us all the time You know, they'd argue in the back seat, you know, they'd wake us up and tell us, talk to us, you know, (laughs) weird stuff like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's something that I would, when I thought about it, even just taking a breather or, you know, not knowing it's an interesting business, you know, what happens if I uh, wrote something else and, ended up doing maybe a series, another series. The idea of not writing Rick again was really, um, it, it did, uh, it struck me very hard, the idea of not writing
0: this character that I've gotten to know so well. Mm-hmm. Like, as you said at the beginning, and Janet was reading your your intro, uh, that you were sort of inspired by Raymond Chandler. Is that, is that why you continue to set your books um, in California? I mean, there's a lot of stuff here, and Chandler really uh, brings it to life. But is that why you keep so Southern California or do you go up farther north? I haven't read all your books yet. So. All
2: right. There's no quiz. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've only written one book out of San Diego, and that was in Santa Barbara, where I went to college a thousand years ago. Um, <laughs> and I, I went up and spent a, a couple of weekends, up, long weekends up there for research. Of course, it's changed quite a bit since I was there. Um, I like writing where I am um, and San Diego, is. there's a lot of great mystery writers in San Diego, but not that many of them write about San Diego, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, T. Jefferson Parker's in Fallbrook now, which is northern part of, I don't even think it's part, part of North County, but it's sort of considered San Diego. He's writing a PA, PI series in San Diego now, which is a great competition, but um, there's really not that many people that write about the city itself, or the town, that the, the whole county. So I'm happy doing it here. I like to be able, as we mentioned earlier, I think maybe before we got on, just driving around in the area um, uh, that always opens up things for me to be able to drive somewhere and get a sense of, even if it's a place I know, just getting an extra sense of it always uh, opens things up for me. Sometimes I get, sometimes I'm trying to solve one problem and it'll open up a a key to something else. And like I said, just writing in Santa, writing a book uh, uh, that took place in Santa Barbara, which is only uh, 210 miles from here. I think just not being able—I to, I, I went up there a little bit, but not being able to get in my car at night and drive around was difficult for me. So I can't imagine not writing in the area I live in. There is one scene and or a couple scenes in uh, *Blind Vigil* about that take place in Idaho, and I didn't realize I I needed to write about something in Idaho until later in the book, a second revision or third revision, second revision probably. I didn't go there. I talked to friends, a couple of people I went to high school with, lived there, so I got some great input that way. Of course, I went on Google Maps, and you know they get the whole satellite thing, get right down on the ground. (laughs) I don't know how old the satellite was, but um, so I wrote. It was only like about a ten hours in in Idaho. It ended up being my favorite scene, my my favorite part of the book. The couple characters that I that I wrote about down there, but uh, but once again, it was tough, and I almost felt like it was a cheat. Um, I probably shouldn't say that I didn't go there, but, uh, I always try to be honest. Um, but it was more difficult. You know, I couldn't drive, um, in this little area, but, uh, I did get a lot of good info from, from, um, my friends, but, um, I really like to be where I write. Um, you know, it'd be, I know Lee Goldberg does, goes all over the place and he, he gets to write it off. So maybe that's the thing to do, but, uh, <laughs> um, Yeah, I I can't imagine not, I can't imagine writing a book that took place in one area that where I wasn't, you know, and and like I said, even the Santa Barbara thing, it was, I'd been so many years since I spent a lot of time there. That was difficult. So uh, San Diego's a, the one thing I like, it's a long-winded answer, but, you know, there's a lot of scenes that take place in La Jolla. And uh, I like the idea of, uh, you know, La Jolla is pretty much known throughout the world. It's almost, you know, an idyllic place um paradisical and it, it's beautiful of course but i also i always think of um david lynch's uh, blue velvet the very opening scene on if you saw the movie
0: mm-hmm. where there's
2: that, that very plush front yard of a well kept lawn and then they dive underneath and there's all these beetles uh, these black beetles underneath and i always think that you know even in the most idyllicized areas there's some darkness underneath so that's why another mm-hmm. reason i like writing about san diego
1: when we were writing our scarlet Drake series, we went actually went to the places that we wrote about because you know they're mostly in the west coast and it was something interesting happens when you're there It's like a spirit kind of hits you things come to you it's really interesting what the how that happens right so how do you get where do you get your inspiration? anything special that you do
2: now for me you know i, I, I um I know a lot of writers who are very good about always having four or five um, ideas in the bank ready to go. Mentioning Jeff Parker again, he's always got something. He's always pulling stuff out of the newspapers, and I, I used—I had a file. I used to do that, but I, I don't really do it anymore. Um, and it's always a difficult time for me when a new book starts. Um, there was the second book I wrote, uh, Night Tremors. Yeah. Was taken from a real uh like a 48 hours and dateline case that was about a kid in uh i think it was pennsylvania or new jersey or something like that 17 years old i think had been uh convicted of murdering his parents was in prison each each um year both networks would do a show about the progression of whether this guy's getting out or not because their point of view was that he was innocent and that was when my idea came from but i, I remember watching those shows and being so so upset because it seemed like this guy was in jail in prison for um and he was innocent and I I remember I go online how can I help blah 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 and uh, over the year it probably took like over 10 years the guy was finally released he he wasn't guilty but so I took that idea and um and went with it of course twisted it quite a bit but generally um there might be a few things that are subplots or, or little vignettes in a book that come from real things but what I do is I, I try to find, like I mentioned earlier, what situation will put Rick in the greatest harm, put the most pressure on him, um, emotionally affect him. So sometimes I don't really find that until I've um, written my way into the book a bit. I wish I was more organized.
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of why, why I used to write sort of as a panther before was, was i like, I liked being surprised myself as I'm writing along in the book, because sometimes my characters will do things that, I didn't expect him to do or say, right. uh, and, but uh, Janet outlines. And, and uh, to me, it's just like, I'm not going to get surprised.
1: <laughs> well, I find when I outline though, it's not carved in stone. It goes in different right. directions. As long as all the red herrings are where they need to be. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't think any writer that I know that outlines is, is ever like keeps with it hundred percent. I'm sure it evolves as time goes. Oh, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. And I do that but-
2: when I'm probably two thirds of the way through a book, I will make a list of things that I know that need to happen. And uh, that's some sort of way of like reorganizing the story as it goes. But um, yeah, it's really, um, it is really organic the way I
0: write it. <laughs> Well, it's great you got
2: all these stories
0: in you and, and more to come. We're sure, but then, <laughs> that's great. Um, that's when Janet and I were researching one of our books, we, we went down to San Diego, we don't write about San Diego, but we visited the, uh, the Sheriff's Museum mm-hmm. down there by Old Town. And that was a lot of fun. Have you been there? No, I haven't.
1: Yeah, well, we were right in the 1950s, so we uh-huh. didn't know what it was like. So we went down there and had a wonderful time. All Everyone there was very sweet, very helpful. Showed us things from the 50s that we didn't know yeah. about what cops did and didn't do. So We, we
0: had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: I have... Well, go ahead.
2: No, Old Town's a great little town, but you sort of touched upon something that, you know, one of the reasons I still write in San Diego about San Diego is that there's so many places I don't even know about. And you, like, you were a perfect example of, you know, people will vacation some places and they'll look up something in a book and they'll go see it. And like, like myself, sometimes people live there all their life and they never go there. There's so many things that I don't know about the city that I still need to explore.
1: Mm-hmm. So I have a uh, two questions. I ask all my authors, do you eat or drink when you write?
2: <laughs> well, I, you know, I do have to, you're talking about the period of the book, like over a year. Yes, I do eat and drink as I go. <laughs> no, when I'm, when I'm writing, I just, just water. I don't, um, I, I don't even like to um, like when I, when I, I used to have the day job and I would um, be very limited in the time I could write and I, I don't like re- writing after I eat. And so I would, my dinners are very late because <laughs> I would, you know, I had the day job during the day and I write in the evening and, and I always had a plan every, like, you know, I'm going to cook because I, I want to, eat, you know, right now I'm, I get the COVID weight going. But I, I try to, I'm a decent cook and I always want to eat relatively healthy. And there's, you know, anything you cook at home is going to be better than anywhere you go out in terms of health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always tell you, know, I'll cook something tonight. And, you know, when I'm done riding at nine o'clock, you know, especially when I live right across an area where there's like a food cart court, court and I, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever I want to. So every like four nights a week, I'd be just going across the street at nine o'clock instead of the cooking that one big meal for the week. But it's because, and the point is, because I don't like to have any, I don't like to be feel full at all. when I'm writing, but I don't like to be real hungry, but I don't like to be full, but, but I always have, obviously I always have water going. (laughs)
1: Okay. And do you listen to music when you write?
2: I listen to music when I have to. And it's all, it's almost only one um, album. That's what we used to call it back in the day. Right. Uh, it's a um, Grover Washington. I mean, he's long gone. He's he's died, unfortunately. He was a great artist, but it's one of his I don't know later CDs. I can't remember which one it is, but it's mostly instrumental. But I can even listen to. Uh, I think Bobby Womack actually sings on a little bit. I can even listen to now um, the vocals, in, you know, on songs, and it just just background to me. I don't it doesn't really involve me that much. But I only do that because I like to have it as quiet as possible. When I'm writing, I'm not a great uh, writer with noise around. Um, white noise is okay. But there was a guy, I live uh, in a duplex ground level. And there used to be a guy years ago behind me. Thank- thankfully, I only lived there for a short period of time. He was a whistler. <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't like he was whistling show tunes or something. It was just kind of this very spastic high whistle. And I remember posting on Facebook one night as I was going through this that, you know, it's not a good idea to uh, be an annoying whistler next door to somebody who writes about <laughs> getting away with the murder every night. Um, but like then I'll put the headphones on if there's too much noise going on. I'll put the headphones on. I'll listen to Grover Washington. But, you know, I, I ride on planes and in hotel rooms when I have to and when I'm on the road. But um, so I don't I will say that I think almost every book I've written, I've listened to that um, Grover Washington album. But I'm, I don't think I did it very much at all with the last book. So maybe it's quieter here now.
0: A dual pane was window a, no, that helps. Did the whistling set off Angus? It set everybody off.
1: <laughs> did you put a character in your book that whistles?
2: No, I made a comment in the book. I'm just, I'm just turned in about just about living in that kind of life with um, a whistler behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Not, it was uh, wasn't a wasn't real character, so he wasn't killed, but uh, probably should have been.
1: That's like you know, fiction mimicking real life. <laughs>
2: right. Well, I mean, if you ever move back here, I, I couldn't kill him because I've, I've this out. This is out there in the ether world now. So, <laughs> I have to get better head-canceling earphone
0: or noise-canceling earphones. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, we've had a great time talking with you. Uh, we'd like to talk, you know, all afternoon if we could, because we don't get to see very many people anymore. But uh, we'd like to thank you for being on our show today, and this will air a little bit later. And Make sure you let us know how your other books are coming along. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun.
1: Oh, You're welcome, Matt. You came to mine immediately.
0: Thanks for listening to the Chatting with Authors podcast.
1: To learn more about Janet Elizabeth Lynn and Will Zeilinger, go to themarriedauthors.blogspot.com. Tune in next time to hear more Chatting with Authors.